there's uh, some interesting things when it comes to Bible prophecy. And the conclusion of Daniel 11 and then chapter 12 is dealing just with subject matter that is still to come. And Pastor Ted has done a fantastic job in, in all of the rest of the book of Daniel. And as I look at what's to come, it, I, I'm reminded somewhat of uh, times when you take an airplane trip. And how many of you have flown on like big planes before? Should be almost everybody. Okay, so you get on the plane and the stewardess or whoever it may be gets up there and they start to go through the issues if your plane is going to crash, right? If the plane's going to go in water, you need this. If you're going to be on the land, you need this. Make sure you're buckled. Here's your floating device. There's the door. There's where you jump out. All that kind of stuff, right? But while the person is going through that, I never pay attention. Do you? Does anybody pay attention? Praise the Lord. So you're all just like me. But you know what? If the plane started to go down, you would wish you paid attention, wouldn't you? You better believe you would. But Bible prophecy is a lot like that. We get all of these these teachings of what is still to come for us who live in the 21st century. And so much of it is blah, 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 blah. Until the plane starts to go down, and then it suddenly has our attention. And there's a lot of world events that are going on currently, like the typhoon that hit the Philippines, and and various earthquakes that are happening, and the economy, and all these things are going on. Technology, and NSA spying on everybody. A lot of things certainly have our attention, and, and a lot of people are wondering, what is going on? I hope I can connect the dots for you today. But of this in flying planes, there was a young man who was learning to fly a a single-engine airplane. It was time to do the landing phase of his instruction. And the instructor said, are you ready to go down? And he said, let's do it. So the plane began to descend, and the instructor looked over at the young man, and he was cool and calm. There wasn't a sign of nervousness about him. No sweaty palms or biting of his lip. And the instructor thought, wow, this boy's going to make a great pilot. And the plane descended, and suddenly it hit the ground with a thud. It bounced 50 feet in there. It hit the ground again and bounced off the runway where it finally stopped. And the instructor says, son, I have been teaching for a long time, and I believe that is the worst landing ever done by a student pilot. He replied, me? I thought you were landing the plane. <laughs> As we look at what's going on, we can wonder, is Anybody in control? Who's going to land this, this thing? Listen, God is in control. And the prophetic events of the previous chapters of Daniel chapter 11, written before those things took place, Alexander the Great, Cleopatra, all of those things regarding the various empires, they have been fulfilled. So it gives us confidence that the things that are still coming, the things we're going to look at over the next few minutes, it gives us confidence to know that God is still in control and things are going to pan out exactly as God says so in his word. But before we go, I want to show you this. There's this, this individual that I got a picture of for you. I call him Revelation Randy. So there he is. Standing on the street corner, his, his shoes, his boots don't even match. Kind of a nut-looking guy, right? Here's the thing. When you go through Bible prophecy, some people can get all kind of out of whack and, and misunderstand it. You don't want to be like this guy, right? I believe the end is near. I believe the end the way the Bible describes is near. I believe Jesus Christ is coming soon. However, understand this. You don't want to be like that. So my attempt here today is this, that we would be educated, we would be informed, we would be encouraged, we would be prepared with balance. We need to have balance. So with all of this in mind, let's get going, or I am going to run out of time before I even get to read anything. Daniel chapter 11, we'll pick up in verse 40. Pastor Ted left off when the Antichrist was going to divide the land for gain, specifically leading, speaking of Jerusalem. Verse 40, Daniel continues, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. Attack who attacked the Antichrist. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter the countries. He will overwhelm them and pass through. He shall also enter into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. By the way, Edom, 
Moab and Ammon, those are all speaking of territories or, or places within modern-day Jordan. Verse, 20, verse 42, And he shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasuries of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But, verse 44, news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. The glorious holy mountain is Mount Moriah in Jerusalem where the Temple Mount currently sits, by the way, yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. The first thing we we learn about in these verses, for those of you who are taking notes, is regarding the glorious land. Note when the events of Daniel chapter 11, beginning in verse 40, take place. They take place, verse 40 tells us, at the time of the end. That is speaking of the, the time of the great tribulation, and specifically, I believe, these verses we just read are applying to mainly the second half of the tribulation. However, it says that it, in verse 40 that he will hear news and many will come against him. The king of the north and the king of the south will come against him like a whirlwind. Who's the king of the north and who's the king of the south? Well, many believe that the king of the north is is a... Uh, Russia and Syria, perhaps, Lebanon. We don't know for sure exactly who the king of the north is in this passage. Ezekiel 38, when you connect the dots, you can figure out that the northern territory spoken of in Ezekiel 38 is Russia. However, is this the same invasion as Ezekiel 38? Don't know that for sure. Nevertheless, the Antichrist hears the news that the south and the north, the leaders of those two territories, are coming against them. However, it also appears from verse 40 that he defeats them because we're told that he overwhelms them and then he passes through them and he shall enter into the countries. And it appears he's going into various Mideast countries. But then also, after he decimates these particular armies, notice where he goes next. Verse 41 tells us that he enters into the glorious land. So what's the glorious land? The glorious land as a whole is Israel. The glorious land, specifically if you were to narrow it down, it would be Jerusalem. He sets up shop in Jerusalem. Now we know that the Antichrist sets up shop in Jerusalem because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, we learn that there is a temple that has been built, the third temple by the Jews has been built, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, we, we read that the Antichrist sits as God in the temple that would be in Jerusalem, showing himself that he is God, demanding, we know from the book of Revelation chapter 13, to be worshipped as God. So it appears Verse 41 takes place in the midpoint of the tribulation period. You know how long the tribulation period is? Seven years. The second half of the tribulation period is commonly referred to as the great tribulation. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist, he sets up shop in the glorious land, there in Israel, there specifically in Jerusalem, and demands to be worshipped as God by the nations. Verse 41 also tells us, and many countries will be overthrown. So he's sitting in Jerusalem. Many uh, countries shall be overthrown. Let, Let me say this before we move on. A lot of people believe that everybody in the world that is not a believer in Christ, who doesn't come to Christ during that time, I believe we're going to be raptured first, but I know some of you might want to debate me on that. That's fine for afterwards. But many people, regardless believe, for those who don't know Christ, those who don't come to Christ during the tribulation period, that everyone else will absolutely love the Antichrist. They'll think, oh, he's Christ. Listen, not everyone loves the Antichrist. Here we just read in verse 40 and verse 41 that there are many territories that make war against the Antichrist. Even when he sits in the temple and demands to be worshipped as God, there are countries that he goes and he overthrows. Not everyone loves the Antichrist. Even those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ don't necessarily love 
the Antichrist. Interesting, you just keep that in your mind. But notice also what he does. He decimates Egypt. Look at verses 42 and 43 again. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, over all the precious things of Egypt, and also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. What's this talk about Egypt? He's going to overthrow Egypt. He's going to decimate Egypt and steal their silver and gold. What I'd like to do for the next uh, couple of minutes is have you please go with me to Isaiah chapter 19 to help fill in some of the blanks as to what is going on here in verses 42 and 43 regarding the Antichrist and Egypt. In Isaiah chapter 19... Isaiah, the prophet, through the word of God, is dealing specifically with the territory of Egypt. Recently, I was on the radio, and somebody had called in. This is K-Wave, and, and, um, and somebody called in about Isaiah chapter 19, wondering about Egypt. And let me see if I can connect the dots for you a little bit with a little bit more time than what I had that day. But in chapter 19, this is what the Bible tells us regarding the last days and the territory of Egypt. Verse 1, The burden against Egypt, behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud. It will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence. And the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. Verse 2, look at this, I will set Egyptians against Egyptians, everyone will fight against his brother, and everyone against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom. The spirit of Egypt will fail in its midst, I will destroy their counsel, and they will consult the idols and the charmers, the mediums and the sorcerers, and the Egyptians I will give into the land of a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, the waters will fail from the sea, and the river will be wasted and dried up. Let's stop here, because we don't have enough time to read all of Isaiah chapter 19. But if you look up here on the screen. You'll see this, uh, this article up here. And this is from Breitbart. Title of the article, Anti-Muslim Brotherhood Protests in Egypt, Largest Political Event in World History. Now this took place just a couple of months ago. If you are following world news, you will know that what's going on in Egypt right now is absolutely unbelievable. It is absolutely crazy with all the turmoil that's gone, going on over there. Christians being killed. This is the problem with our news here in the good old United States of America. It's entertainment. What do we hear about? Britney Spears, Miley Cyrus. I, in fact, I heard there's an app that you can get loaded to your phone so you never have to hear Miley Cyrus again. I think I'm going to find out how much it costs and pay for it. But look at what's going on in Egypt, and this caller called into the radio program and wanted to know the significance of what's going on in Egypt right now. Here, here's the thing, we can't say this is exactly what Isaiah chapter 19 is talking about, with brother fighting against brother, but what you have in Egypt right now is the radical Islamists fighting against the moderate Islamists and the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ being killed. And then also check this out in Isaiah 19, look again at... at uh, uh, verse 5, the waters will fail from the sea and the river will be wasted and dried up. What's the river in Egypt? It's the Nile River. Ethiopia is building a dam, threatening, Egypt is afraid, to dry up the Nile River to them. So we see the turmoil going on over in Egypt. The, threaten, the threatening of the Nile River being dried up. And then we connect the dots with Daniel ch uh, chapter 11, verses 42 and 43. And also in Isaiah, we recognize this, Isaiah chapter 19, that Egypt will be devastated by God. Look over at verse 16. In that day, in what day? This is speaking of the day of Egypt's destruction. In the last days, in that day, Egypt will be like women and will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he waves over in the land of Judah, that would be Israel, will be a terror to Egypt. Everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid of himself because the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. God's going to devastate Egypt. Brothers turning against brother, verses 1 through 4. Nile River's going to be dried up. 
God's going to devastate Egypt. Antichrist, I believe at that point, verses 42 and 43, Egypt becomes real easy prey for the Antichrist of verses 42 and 43 of Daniel. And then Joel chapter 3 verse 19 teaches us that Egypt will become a wasteland. However, verses 18 through 25 of Isaiah 19 tells us that many in Egypt will turn to the Lord for salvation. Verse 25 specifically says, well, actually, look at verse 24. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So here's the scoop <coughs> with this. We know verses 42 and 43 are still in the future. Egypt has not turned to the Lord. Things that are going on over in the Mideast look like the events of the book of Daniel are about ready to come to pass. However, you don't want to be like the crazy guy on the corner with your boots not matching or anything like that. You want to be educated and informed, ready, encouraged with balance. Recognizing, yes, everything looks like it's going that way. It ought to... Help me to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. It looks like his word is going to be fulfilled in our time, but it might not. Listen, if Jesus doesn't come tomorrow, don't lose heart. If he doesn't come in 10 years, don't lose heart. If he doesn't come in 30 years, don't lose heart. The fact of the matter is the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. But with that being said, please now turn back to Daniel. And I hope you don't mind looking at a whole bunch of passages today because I think we're going to. Back in Daniel, verse 44, we read this. But news from the east and the north shall trouble the Antichrist. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. So you can see the Antichrist, again, is not getting along with everybody. He's got news from the east that's troubling him, and also news from the north. It seems that the north has regrouped, or it's another territory of the north that's coming here. Nevertheless, he hears the news from the east. Being a prophecy person, whenever I hear news from the east coming during the time of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, somewhere during that tribulation period, my mind always goes to China. Here's the deal. In Revelation chapter 16, beginning in verse 12, you can turn there if you want, but I'll just read it to you to save some time. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible says this, Revelation chapter 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl. This is during the bowl judgments of the great tribulation, second half of the tribulation, after the Antichrist demands to be worshipped as God. He pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. What did we just read in Daniel chapter 11? He gets news from the east. The way of the kings of the east, I have no doubt, is speaking of Asia and even specifically China. Here's why. That word east for kings of the east in Revelation chapter 16 literally means rising Sun. What do we know China as? The place of the rising sun. I think some things in prophecy, in fact, a lot of things in prophecy are quite easy to identify. Nevertheless, he gets all of this news, but what happens? Daniel chapter 11, verse 45. He shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas of the glorious holy mountain, that be Mount Moriah, there in Jerusalem. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one shall help the Antichrist. Oh, so sad. What a sad ending. Poor guy. You know what this teaches us is that Jesus wins. In a nutshell, we just saw the wars of the Antichrist at the end of Daniel chapter 11. During the second half of the tribulation, bottom line is Jesus wins. You want to know how Revelation sums up Jesus winning? It's like this. You can look there if you want. But then we're going to move on quickly. Revelation chapter 19, beginning of verse 11. This is what we read about the exact same thing with details regarding verse 45 that we just read. John writing in Revelation 19, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. In a righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured, and with him... The false prophet who worked signs in his presence, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Bottom line, Jesus wins. What happens here? Daniel chapter 11, verse 45. The the Antichrist, he meets his end, and there's nobody to help him. In Armageddon, the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, casts him alive into the lake, burning with brimstone fire and brimstone. So Jesus wins. That's the summary of Daniel chapter 11 at the end. But we move on from there to the conclusion of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. We move from the glorious land to the great tribulation. And you got to excuse me for just a second because (coughs) I have this cough and I don't like to drink water in front of anybody. So I'm going to turn my back on you. It's worse when your nose starts running. Have you ever had that happen, Pastor Ted? You got to blow your nose in front of hundreds of people. It's no fun. We move from the glorious land of number two, the, the great tribulation, verse one of chapter 12. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Book of Revelation reads the Lamb's book of life. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. That would be two angels, by the way. Verse 6, and one said to the man clothed in the linen, again, the other man is an angel, who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? In other words, how long will all of the the time of trouble of verse 1 last. Verse 7, And then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. What's time, times, and half a time? Three and a half years. You find that out by going through the various prophetic words. And we'll get into more of that in just a second. <clears throat> but for three and a half years, and then Daniel writes this, when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be fulfilled. What's that a reference to? Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Pastor Ted already covered it with you, but here it is. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people. And for your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal a vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So this is exactly what Daniel is writing about here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. For time, times, and a half time, three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation, everything must be fulfilled with the holy city and with the holy people. In verse 8, <coughs> although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Verse 9, and he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. I look at this, and, and there's many things to point out in these verses, but one of them is in verse 3. It tells us that the wise shall shine. They'll be like the firmament. They'll be like the stars that shine forever. I was listening to a radio interview the other day, and it was uh, regarding Roger Daltrey. How many of you are old enough like me, and uh, you've heard of Roger Daltrey from The Who? See, in my congregation, first service, that's like everybody. Last service is not. 
But first service is like everybody. I also noticed this. I pointed this out to my wife the other day. I said, you can tell I'm getting old because I have one of these things. All the young guys now are growing that Duck Dynasty thing. Like, I noticed, Steve, and your guys up here. But I was listening to this radio interview with Roger Daltrey, old guy of the Who, and obviously not many of you have ever heard of him. Here's the thing. 30, 40 years ago, Roger Daltrey was a star, a rock star. Man, who didn't hear of him when they were 20 years old back in his heyday? But in this interview, he, he was saying, you know what? We've got to face facts. We are getting old. I'm guessing he must be around 65 or so by now. But he goes, we've got to face facts. We're, we're too old to travel anymore, to do any more tours. That's the reality of it. He was a star. His star's not shining forever anymore. Elvis was a star. He's dead. Some people think he's alive, but Elvis is dead. <coughs> Michael Jackson is dead. Frank Sinatra's dead. Miley Cyrus is still alive. Um, <laughs> But one day her star won't be shining forever. But the Lord is telling us here, man, those who know him will be like the stars that shine forever. And note here, Daniel is writing about a particular time. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 12, at that time. At what time? Verse 40 told us at the time of the end. So at that time, during the time of the great tribulation, all of these things are going to take place. During the time... When Israel is a nation, again, in order for the events of Daniel chapter 12 to be fulfilled, Israel must be a nation again. In order for the events of Daniel chapter 9 to be fulfilled, Israel must be a nation again. Daniel is writing about a particular time. He's also writing about a particular prince. Daniel says in verse 1, At that time, Michael the prince shall stand up, the prince of the sons of your people. Who's Michael? Michael is the archangel that oversees the people of Israel or the territory of Israel. In Jude, verse 9, the Bible says, Michael the archangel, he's the one that contended with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. This is what we know about Michael. He is an archangel. We also know that he is one who oversees the sons of the people. In other words, he oversees the people of Israel, specifically the land of Israel and the territory, uh, uh, the city of Jerusalem. But we also know this from studying the book of Daniel, that in the last days, the attacks against Israel will only get worse. They will only get much worse. So Daniel's writing about a particular time at the time of the end. He's writing about a particular prince, Michael the prince, who's going to help protect the people of Israel. And he also writes about a particular trouble. Verse 1, there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation even to that time. This is referring to the greatest time of persecution for Israel and the greatest time of world calamity. This is what Jesus said about this particular time of trouble. Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 and 22. For then (coughs) there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Jesus is confirming the words of Daniel 11, verse 1. There's never been trouble like this before. We think of the days of Hitler and Mussolini and so many other evil leaders. The days of the Antichrist are going to be far worse. And so are the days of the types of calamity that are taking place in the world. They will be worse during that time than any other time. So much so that Jesus goes on to say, unless those days are shortened, nobody would survive. But for the sake of the elect, the Lord limits the amount of trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7 says that for that day is great so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel's history has always been a time of trouble, but what is coming is far worse than what happened to the Jews in the days of Hitler. Far, far worse. What's coming for this world is far worse than what this world has ever experienced before. The tribulation period won't be just more the same. Same hurricanes, same earthquakes, same wars. This time of trouble will be different. It'll be worse than a time ever seen before. But with that, notice how all of this focuses on 
Israel. Recently, Benjamin Netanyahu, let's, uh, Nick, can you pull up this next picture? This title of this article, this is recent, just a couple weeks back. Netanyahu in a state of shock over terms, crisis of faith between Israel and U.S. over possible Iran deal. And then the article goes on to quote various things that happened over the past year. But if you're following world news and you're following what's going on in Israel, Israel has felt like they were were, uh, thrown under the bus by uh, President Obama. And believe it or not, it was the French who stepped up to the plate and saved Israel and rejected the plan that Obama had offered. Did you ever think that the French would, would help out Israel? It's an amazing thing. But this all happened just within the last two weeks. But Israel is recognizing, man, we've got problems. They are in a state of, <clears throat> of shock. Here's what the Bible prophesies about Israel. Zechariah chapter 12 tells us that Jerusalem will be a stumbling stone for the rest of the world. Listen, the world's attention, peace, peace, we've got to have peace. It all centers back on Jerusalem. Pastor Ted has already dealt with it. Daniel chapter 11, verse 39. He will divide the land for gain. The, the, the pursuit of the Antichrist and the pursuit of the world powers, except for France for some reason this last time, the pursuit of world powers. John Kerry over in Jerusalem. In fact, when I was in Jerusalem back in, in June, John Kerry was there trying to work out the peace plan to divide Jerusalem, unsuccessful, but one day the Antichrist will be successful to divide the land. And in Joel chapter 3, verse 2, God prophesies and he says that he is going to judge the nations because they have divided up my land. And also we are told in Zechariah chapter 2 that God calls Jerusalem the apple of his eye. God says, Jerusalem is my city, but men of this world want to divide up the, the, want to divide up my city. Satan wants to make sure that that happens. God says, this is the apple of my eye. And this is what's going on. Zechariah again, chapter 12 says, all the world is going to be gathered against Jerusalem. We see this developing. Folks, as I look at all that's going on, it appears to me we are right on the cusp of the Lord Jesus Christ coming back based on Bible prophecy. It it marvels me. When you look at Bible prophecy, 2,500 years old, 3,000 years old, 3,500 years old, and yet it appears that we watch it being fulfilled in real time. Nevertheless, we've seen the glorious land and we've seen... The great tribulation, lastly, number three, we come to the grateful people, the grateful people. Verse 10, many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Stand. Many will be purified and made white. What is that all about? Job writes in Job chapter 23, verse 10, when God has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Let me stop here and just make a little bit of personal application, all right? We go through trials in this life. How many of you have never been through a trial in your life? Never. Never been through a time of testing. We all go through those times of testing. Job writes and says, when I have been tested, when I come out on the other side, I will be brought forth as gold. Job Job gives us the picture that we are put into a refiner's fire. you got a pot of gold that's got all the dirt and all the filth. It's, It's come out of the mine, and it's heated up in this great big pot, and the dross rises to the top and the smelter pulls off all of the the junk off the top of the pot of gold. And he scrapes it all off and the gold is being refined in this refiner's fire. And, And by the way, you want to know how the smelter of those days could tell if the gold was finally refined and it was pure enough? When the smelter, after the gold was all heated up, took off enough of the dross, so much of the dross was taken off that he could look at the pot of refined gold and he could see his face. That's how it is with God. We get tested by the fires that we go through. But he is molding us, Romans tells us, into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, when we look at this in application to the last days, 
we recognize God says in those days it's going to be bad. It's going to be really, really, really bad. But there are many who are going to be purified. Psalm 66 verse 10 tells us, You, God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. God says, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, where God prophesies and says, during the last days, during the great tribulation that we're reading about, that one-third of the Jews will be saved. Two-thirds of them will go to their destruction. One-third of the Jews will be saved. And there, God says, I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. This is exactly what Daniel is talking about here. Many shall be purified and made white. They're going to be pure. But nevertheless, the personal application for you and I, because we're alive today, right? We go through the times of testing. Some of you are going through probably some really hard things. Understand this. God is in control. God loves you. Nothing comes your way that he has not determined is best for you. And you might be thinking, I don't dig this. This is not fun. This is not exciting. Let me tell you, we live for this world. The Lord Jesus Christ knows if you're in him, you are going home and we are being refined. And sometimes the heat gets turned up so that he can see more of him in the refiner's fire, and less of us. Listen, eternity is forever. One day you are going to be home. Be encouraged. This too will pass. But nevertheless, goes on and says, verse 11, and from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. Let me stop here. When's the abomination of desolation? Jesus spoke of it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. It's the time when the Antichrist sits in the temple demanding to be worshipped as God. That's the midpoint of the tribulation. The first three and a half years are done. The second three and a half years now start. So at that time, the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed, verse 12, is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. So, so what is this weird part about here at the very end? This is what we know. Biblically, Revelation chapter 11, we know that the, the Days of the second half of the tribulation period and the days of the first half of the tribulation each are a period of 1,260 days on the Babylonian calendar that is exactly three and a half years or 42 months. The Bible tells us that, 1,260 days. However, you come to the end of the book of Daniel after the abomination of desolation at the midpoint of the tribulation when the Antichrist demands to be worshipped as God, Daniel writes, there shall be 1,290 days. Where's the extra 30 days come from? That's kind of weird. Is there a discrepancy? And then you get over to verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Wow, there's an additional 45 days added to the 30 days that were added on to the 1,260. That doesn't even make any sense to me. Let's make it real simple talking to my messianic friends, because nobody seems to be able to come up with an answer of this, my messianic Jewish friends, they simply state it as this. As it is with certain feasts in the days of the Jews, there's a time for cleansing of the planet, and there's also a time for preparation for the people. And that is all part of that preparation and cleansing period. Remember, during the tribulation, this world is going to be going through a mess. There will be earthquakes, there's going to be famine, there's going to be disease, there's going to be hurricanes, there's going to be volcanoes, there's going to be massive turmoil. Much of the population of the world is going to be dead and completely decimated, and there's going to be a cleanup time and a preparation time. I believe that that is all that that is, and it falls in line with certain feasts of the Jews. But... With that being said, I want to start putting everything together for you, all right? You got all that background. So for the next two hours, I'm going to put everything together, you right? Now, just, it's only take a few minutes. Back in verse 4, 
<clears throat> Daniel says this. You, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So shut up the words and seal the book until what? Un- Listen, this isn't hard. It's right here in your book. Until the time of the end. Verse 9. Check it out. These words are sealed until what? Until the time of the end. God is making it very clear. Bible prophecy was very difficult to understand. Daniel even acknowledges it here in the words that we just read. Daniel says in verse 8, I, I, I heard it, but I didn't understand it. But God is letting us know these things are sealed until the time of the end. And then check it out in verse 10, we are told, the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but, verse 10, the wise shall understand. What is God letting us know? With all of this, God wants you and I, his people, to understand in our days. Listen, we can understand the words of Daniel and the book of Revelation way easier than any other generation that ever existed before. In fact, do you know what the word revelation means? To reveal or to take the lid off. So that you can, you can see what it is. Man, when I go home from, from church and I walk into the front door, I can smell what my wife is cooking. I can tell if it's Italian food or Mexican food. I can tell how many calories I'm going to be putting down as soon as I walk into the house. And I can take the lid off and see what's inside. This is what God does with the book of Revelation. Until this generation, listen, until this generation that we live in, The words of the book of Revelation all appear to be symbolic. Much of Daniel, all symbolic, especially when it comes to the second coming of Christ. But today, they make sense. God wants you and I to know and understand these things that we would look for the blessed hope and the glorious peering of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. But check this out. Daniel says here, verse 4, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Some people say that the run to and fro is running to and fro through the word of God, seeking to understand the prophetic details of the word of God. There may be some application to that. My friend Don Stewart says that's what this is pertaining to, running to and fro, because in in Amos chapter 8, the Bible says the people will run to and fro looking for the word of God and they won't find it. There's a famine for the word of God. Nevertheless, here people are running to and fro, running to and fro to search for the word of God and search the meaning of everything that's going on right now. Hence, Pastor Ted taking you through the book of Daniel to help connect the dots. But I also believe there is a greater meaning and greater application in our day. Running to and fro has to do with travel. It used to be if you were a commuter in for work, you would travel, let's say, from here down to San Diego for work in your car. Now you can travel from here to Sacramento to commute and get on a plane and come back home. And that's your commute for the day. You can do that now. The travel is remarkable. Did you know there's a flying car that has been prototyped right now? It drives on the road, it gets wings, and it actually flies. People, things are crazy. But also then you look at knowledge. Knowledge shall increase. Indeed, knowledge of the word of God shall increase because the word of God is unsealed for our generation. But I want you to think about this regarding knowledge. Knowledge in general, technology especially, has increased. Think of this. This is under an article titled Exponential Knowledge Explosion. We've gone from information overload to information explosion. The technical knowledge explosion is governed by Moore's Law, which says that computers will get twice as smart every 18 to 24 months. It takes four years to get a technical degree, but by the time a student graduates, his education is virtually obsolete. At this exponential rate, it's estimated that before too long, the sum total of human knowledge will double every 72 hours. Listen, here's the scoop. In Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, this is what the disciples asked Jesus. They asked him this just before he was crucified. 
as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Jesus privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When will these things be? The specific question Jesus was addressing there was the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. That was the first question. But then they said, and what will be the sign of your coming? What's that talking about? His second coming. How do we know that? Because Jesus is right there with them when, when they ask him. So they're saying, when are you coming back? Right? When are you coming? And the end of the age. Wow. And then Jesus went on to list all sorts of things. He said there would be false Christ, there would be earthquakes, there would be pestilence, there would be the sea and the waves roaring, hurricanes, typhoons. There would be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Um, I'm going to show you something real quick. Can you turn to one last passage with me? Job chapter 38. I want to show you this. I promise I'm almost done because if I'm not, I'm going to get kicked out of here, I can tell. Job chapter 38. I want to show you this. Verse 22 and 23. This is what Job says. God says to Job, Job, have you entered the treasury of snow? Job chapter 38, if you're still looking for it. Have you entered the treasury of snow, or have you seen the treasury of hail? Now, that's weather, right? We think of snow and hail. We think of weather. Okay. Then look what God says in verse 23 of chapter 38. Which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and War. I have reserved for the time of trouble. What are we reading about this morning in Daniel chapter 12? The time of trouble. God says, I've, re- I've, I've, got my, I've got the treasury of snow. I've got the treasury of hail. I've got the treasury of weather reserved for the time of trouble. L- let me show you a couple of things. Nick, can you show the pic- the, uh, this one? Asteroids. Astronauts warn UN of threat to Earth from asteroids. Now, this has been all over the news for the past few years. All these scientists are worried about asteroids hitting the planet. Um, I find it interesting. I've read a lot of articles. Some say 30 years, we're probably going to get hit by one. Some say 40 years. Another article you'll read will say, well, next week we're going to get hit by one. And, and all these things. Nevertheless, reading these articles, there's a million asteroids that all have the potential of hitting the planet. And one article said from one scientist, we just don't know what to do when they all start to hit Here's the thing. Revelation chapter 6, God says this. That during the tribulation, first part of the tribulation period, the stars will fall from the sky like figs falling from a tree late in season. What happens to fruit when it gets late in season? It starts to fall off the tree, right? God says this is what's going to happen in the tribulation. The things that the scientists are worried about happening someday, God says you don't have to worry about it. Because when the tribulation starts, man, these things will hit the planet. You're thinking, oh, great, everything's going to be destroyed. Listen, I'm a firm believer. If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air before the tribulation period starts. Nevertheless, God said in Job chapter 38, I've got my treasure of snow. I've got my treasure of hail. Asteroids. Revelation chapter 6. We look at what's going on. It looks like God's holding back. And then we look what's going on in the Philippines. Pastor Ted and your church is going there. See the next clip? Here's this. This was from right after the the typhoon hit last week. U.S. General, we, we only have a week to save them. And I know Pastor Ted has been keeping you abreast of what's going on over there in the Philippines. It's not just the immediate death that has come to the Philippines. It's the dead bodies that are still there. And all of the pestilence, the disease that's going to spread. And this is what the fear is. There's people that are still alive. Pastor Ted will be running into them and the rest of the crew that are there. But it's the threat of the whole thing. But we look at this. And then you look at the next slide. Look at this next slide. Top scientist, another Fukushima quake would mean U.S. evacuation. Bye-bye, Japan. Bye-bye, Japan. 
So we look at all these things that are going on. Job says, in Job chapter 38, God says, I've got this treasure. I'm, I'm holding everything off. I look at world events, and it looks to me like God is holding everything off. Here's a hurricane, and here's another hurricane, and here's death and destruction. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says there will be pestilence. Listen, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus also likened these events of the last days to birth pains upon a woman who is pregnant. Also, Paul wrote about that to Timothy. They would be like birth pains. Once the events start, they're going to happen more and more rapidly and with greater intensity. And we see that taking place. We start to put all of the nuts and bolts together from the book of Daniel. And you start to realize what is going on today. Folks, it ought to cause us to be awake and recognize, you know, in, you realize these things have only happened in our generation all at the same time to the magnitude they're happening right now. It's crazy. Daniel wrote, and he simply said that there's going to be those who are resurrected to life, but there's also going to be those who are not going to be resurrected to life. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said there's a resurrection of life and a resurrection to condemnation. The grateful people are those who are in Christ who are resurrected to life. The grateful people are those who recognize, you know, there's a blessed hope looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. I look at all of these things and, and, and put them all together and... Um, and you look at the article about the Fukushima disaster and think, man, this is just some nut job who said that. He's not a nut job. He's an award-winning uh, scientist, um, appeared CBC television, University of Alberta. He's taught, and he says, man, the whole thing is just crazy. Fukushima is the radioactive problem that came from the earthquake over in Japan back in 2011. Or say, man... Another earthquake is going to destroy things. We know in the book of Revelation that there's, it appears to be radioactive fallout that hits this world. With all of that, let, let me close with this. I've had many people say to me, Pastor Tom, I've got to be honest with you. I don't believe any of this stuff. I think you're nuts. In fact, I think you're completely whacked. And everything is going to continue to go just as it is. But the story is told about a man out of Long Island who for years he dreamed of owning a very special barometer. And he finally saw one in the mail order catalog and ordered it. And when he unpacked the instrument, he was dismayed that the needle on his brand new barometer was set and seemed to be stuck pointing to the section marked hurricane. And he took it out of the box and shook it for all it was worth, but he couldn't get it to work right. He wrote a scorching letter to the catalog house and mailed his protest while well, he's on his way to the office in New York the next morning. That evening, when he got back to Long Island, he found that not only was the barometer missing, but so was his house. The barometer was right. There had been a hurricane. Here's the thing. This is our barometer. The barometer is right. The Lord Jesus Christ, all the things that we see happening are a reminder that his word is true. Jesus is coming again and we need to be ready, prepared for the resurrection of life. And I want to encourage you. I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Ted. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive you of your sins and repent of your sin. To repent simply means to turn from your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a surrender to him. It is a conscious decision to surrender your life to Christ. If you purposefully decide to repent and ask him to forgive you of your sin, you will be forgiven and you will be resurrected. You'll be part of the resurrection of life.